Doug was wanting to do a series, and he talked about it a little bit last week on why not this year, sort of a series of hope. He also talked about kind of like sometimes we have to take risks. He mentioned, uh, you know, it's not, not just taking risks for risks' sake, but calculated risks, that he um, felt in prayer that it was time to talk about that in the church, that he's been here for over a year. And so last week we talked a little bit about the passage of Peter walking on the water and how they were in the boat and it was the middle of the night and uh, the storm, a storm came up and the winds were blowing and they all became afraid. And when Jesus started walking on the water to them, they thought it was a ghost and uh, they called out to him, Lord, is it you? And, and Jesus said it was. And uh, Peter, I mean, this is my paraphrase, so you may be checking me real quick here. But uh, he said to Peter, you know, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And, and Jesus did that. And so Peter started walking and started walking on the water. And then it talks about when he noticed the wind. It seems like by scripture, the storm was still raging. It wasn't one of those where Jesus said, peace be still. And it just kind of went away. And, you know, everybody walked on the water and had a party. You know, the storm was still raging. The wind was still blowing. It's, it's my understanding I've never had to deal with being in a hurricane. I've watched plenty of footage, as probably you have, you know, when you see the meteorologist, you know, standing with the wind blowing like crazy and all that kind of stuff. It's supposedly in a hurricane that the sound of the wind is what is so difficult. And it's, it's the debris that is blown by the wind, the power of the wind that can be, bring such destruction. And they were still in the midst of this windstorm and rain and all of that going on. And Jesus said, come. Come to me. And Peter did. He did. And then when he began to notice the storm around him is when he began to uh, have problems with his defying gravity act. And um, when he began to sink, and it says that Jesus reached out his hand and held him. And then they both got back into the boat. And when they did that, the storm was stilled. And it's not like the people in the boat all, all took a nap or whatever. They were like, truly, you are the son of God. They had just seen... A huge miracle. Today we're talking about risking to be your best. And we live in an era where people want perfectionism and they want things to be right and they want it to be right right away. Um, and that's kind of the world we live in. And I certainly understand working hard and doing everything you know to do um, to be able to do something successfully. That's sort of what we're trained to do or that's often our expectation. Sometimes when things do not happen immediately, like when lights go out, uh, in the fellowship hall we have the type of lights in the ceiling that when the power goes out, they don't come back on instantly. You can stand at the wall and flick that little thing all you want to. Not happening for a while. It takes a little bit of time. The amps have to reset in here. Things like that. We want things to happen quickly. They don't always do that. In being our best, I want you to think with me about what does that really mean. Does that mean perfection as the world sees it? Or does it mean being our best in relationship to God? Or does it mean both? I think what we have to realize is that not a lot gets accomplished in our strength. I mean, we can do the best we can, all of that sort of thing, but we have to call on God when he has called us to a place of service or a place of relationship. In most religions, it is people trying to reach God as best they know how. And if I do this, this, or this, if I do it just right, maybe, maybe I'll go to heaven. In Christianity, we serve a God that wanted a relationship, wants a relationship with each one of us. He is a God of relationship. It's not about what we do. It's about what he has already done. 
And so just understanding that, that the critical thing is not what do we do, but whose are we? And we are his. And it is out of that, it is out of that relationship then that, that as we understand where we are in him, then we can be in places of service or places in our world wherever he has us uh, in respect to our different situations. It is my belief that the most important decision anyone ever makes is accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Of all the other things you decide, of all the other things you have to do, and we have a lot of choices there, but the most important decision one, anyone makes is to accept Jesus as their Savior. And after that, everything else is secondary, at least in my opinion. And it's in that accepting what he did for us on the cross that we recognize our sin and our need for Savior, our need for God. It's in that then that we begin to understand the power that is available to us, the love that is available to us because of his care for us. And so I just encourage you to think about that in taking kids to camp, some of your kids to camp. You know, when we go to camp, when Cindy takes kids to camp, all of that, you know, important decisions are made there. And the most important one is understanding God's love for us and that there's nothing we can do that can stop that love. There's nothing we can do. He loves us. Can we break his promises? Yes, we can. Can we disappoint him or grieve him with our sin? Yes, we can. And we need to ask forgiveness for those things. But his love, his love is without end. And it surrounds us on every side. So to know God, to really know him, and his love for us in the acceptance as a child, not as a slave, not as a worker, but a child. In Galatians, it talks a very famous passage in Galatians 4 about in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to save those under law, that we might be called children, that we could cry, Abba, Father. We, we serve a God of relationship. And that's the most important thing. He's not a taskmaster. It's not like Pharaoh saying, make bricks, make bricks without straw. Sometimes because of our upbringings or sometimes because of life or sometimes because of different situations, we feel like we need to work. You know, that, that if I do these things, and you might not say that out loud, but in your mind, you're thinking, okay, if I do all these things, I'll be okay. When God is just saying, I want a relationship with you. I want you to be with me. It's not what you do for me. It's, will you just be with me? Will you learn of me? Will you learn of my love for you? Sometimes distorted uh, concepts of God have to be healed. And, and, you know, we all have emotional work to do. I would love to say that we're all exempt in this room. Everybody's good. But my best guess is, starting with myself, we all have emotional work to do. And I truly believe that's a lifelong process. It's not something that you pray once and everything's good and we're good to go. And it doesn't mean that we're continually in turmoil. But things happen in life. And to me, when it comes down to faith and what faith really is, it's not when things are going great. Faith is when things look awful and we still believe God is good and he loves us, and he will see us through. That's faith. That's faith. So I just encourage you to think about how are you in that relationship with him. I know that in every relationship there, there are, there's ebb and flow. There are times we feel close, times we don't. I get all of that. But that during difficult times, we need to keep our face toward God. We need to stay with him, even though it may be hard. That, God, I am going to hold on to you no matter what. 
And guess what? He doesn't let go of us. Regardless of how it may feel, regardless of our emotions, he does not let go of us. He is with us, and he watches over us. So I would just encourage you, as we're thinking about best, accepting Jesus as your Savior, you know, that's the number one thing I would say. And I know y'all know this. I know y'all are going, yeah, right, when is lunch? And I'm watching the clock. Um, <laughs> Lauren promised me she would set off a flare gun in the back if uh, there was a problem. Uh, y'all know that when, when I was growing up, the preacher would come to the, the pulpit and he'd make a big deal about taking off his watch and put it right here. Y'all know what that means? Absolutely nothing, you know. So trying to, not something they teach you in seminary, but um, the next step would be lordship. I don't know if you spent any time around preschoolers, but usually if you spend any time at all around preschoolers, now this would be none of your children, you know, when I was the children's pastor or whatever, and I'm sure Cindy's never heard this, but every so often when you're around these kids, you'll hear one of them say to each other, or possibly to you, you know, you're not the boss of me. You know, pretty eloquent, you know, just kind of setting a healthy boundary there, right? Now, hopefully we grow out of that, because if you say that to your boss someday, you might be unemployed, you know. I mean, although I assure you there are some 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds who have the attitude of, you're not the boss of me. And, of course, it's always charming to be around them. So, (laughs) you know, there's some things you hope you get past kindergarten, you know. You hope, you know, maybe. We'll see. Um... Sometimes people will say, this is just the best I can be. And you know what? That's just really stupid. (laughs) Sorry. I found out about this not too long ago, so you're kind of getting the unedited. It's incredibly hot up here. I don't know if y'all are (laughs) just saying. Of course, I had children late in life. When I was a children's pastor uh, years ago, years ago at... um, We were at Tyler Street United Methodist Church. I was not married. My maiden name was Palmer. That is a part of the story here in a minute. Um, But I was kind of going around checking on Sunday school classrooms before Sunday school started. And I was checking the four-year-old class. And a veteran teacher, she had taught forever, an excellent teacher. And she had a bunch of little kids in there. And uh, one was named Nathan. And Nathan's spiritual gift was, from the time he took his first breath, was where's the line? And once you tell me where the line is, I am crossing it. And what are you going to do about it? So that was Nathan. And I, it, great kid. He was at our wedding. I mean, great kid. So he's in there just acting up, and he's looking at the door. He knows I'm there. And it's just like, what are you going to do? And I'm just like, you turkey. So in, in great love. So I called him out. I mean, Miss, Mrs. Lamar was like, are you going to help me? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm on it. So I called him out of the room, and his eyes are just like... You're not getting me today, you know? I mean, I'm winning this one. And so he's standing there at the door, and he's in this little Oxford cloth shirt, button-down shirt with a clip-on tie, you know, plaid. I mean, you know, cute little kid, blonde hair, blue eyes. And so, you know, they tell you to get on eye level with kids, right? So I squat down. I was 20-something. I squatted down. Well, he squats down. I'm like, no. (laughs) You know, Am I supposed to get on the floor? I don't think so. I said, Nathan, stand up. You know, I mean, he's like this tall. Nathan, stand up. And so, you know, we're eye level. And I said, Nathan, we're not doing very good today, are we? We're not having a very good morning, are we? And he said, no, we're not. And I just thought, you little turkey, um, in Jesus' love. And so I said, Nathan, I need you to be better. And he looked me right in the eye, and he said, Cindy Palmer, this is just the best I can be today. (laughs) 
Now, my first thought was to laugh, but I knew he'd win, you know, and he wasn't winning today. My next thought was to grab him by the tie, you know. This was before cameras were in church, you know, and I, but it was a clip-on, you know, and I knew it'd come off in my hand, and then, then what do I say, you know. So I just, you know, and they teach you not to do this, but I did this. You know, there were no bruises. But I was like, I said, Nathan, you can do better and you will do better. Go in there and do the right thing. And he just said, okay. And he turned around and went back in and, you know, the teacher sent me roses. I'm kidding, she didn't. Um, <laughs> but he behaved. A lot of times we're, we say those things just to say, you know, I, I'm not doing okay or I don't want it that way or you're not the boss of me. Sometimes are we willing to say, God, I trust you, and will you heal my heart where it's hurt, and will you use me where you need me? I think about your best, thinking about your best for God, and how are we our best? I think it has to be about him. It's not about us, although there are things we're called to do. There are things we have to do. There are things that this church needs right now that we need to be a part of. And that does mean working as hard as you can unto the Lord. But all of that is in God's grace and in God's power and in God's strength. If it's in our strength, we're in trouble. We build a foundation that is Jesus Christ. And as we lay that foundation and as we work on it, we have to remember and honor the people that have gone before us. In this particular congregation, and even in churches worldwide, that as we are faithful here, the, the people that were members of First United Methodist Church Carrollton when it was over on Pearl Street, and even at the early beginnings in the 1900s, and the pioneer days, and all the difficulty. I mean, when you think about, we have trouble when the lights go out, and they didn't have lights. You know, and we have trouble when the AC doesn't work very well, like right this minute, you know, and, and yet they didn't have that. And, and we walked and stand on their shoulders of how they were faithful and what they did. And we are in this season where turning, making a turn in the congregation in the sense of more people being able to be here. I mean, the, the congregation's pretty full, and considering we have orchestra and choir, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for how full it is. This isn't about numbers. This is about people who need to know God. Several weeks ago, we had gone to lunch as staff, and we were coming back Hebron. Doug was driving, I'm almost positive. And I was in the car, and someone else was in the car, I don't remember. And we were kind of driving up Hebron, going through some of the neighborhoods, uh, coming from the west. And I think, I'm probably saying that wrong. Anyway, driving through neighborhoods. And um, he just said, and he was kind of almost talking to himself. He said, you know, we wonder about the people living in those houses. Do they know God? You know, have they ever heard his name? Do, do they know him? Um, he was just kind of talking real softly. And he, and he was just like, you know, how many, you know, get up on Sunday mornings and their lives are empty. And we're here because we have hope in Jesus Christ. I get it that we're not all called to be evangelists. We all, God does give us different gifts and different abilities. I do think we're, we are all called to share the gospel. And that doesn't mean you get up on a pulpit and throw Bibles at people or whatever. Or, you know, when you go to school and at the lunch table, you know, play Bible Frisbee or something with people. But just being people's friends, trying to be aware of when they, they're at a different time in their life or a difficult time. Um, 
for the youth group, as you guys go back to school, y'all know what surrounds you in school. You know it better than I do. The things that you have to face and all of that. And, and as you go back, you know, we're all praying, and y'all pray too. You know, for your teachers and your classrooms and the people that you'll be sitting next to. A lot of really broken lives. And only God can fix those. Only God can do those. He gives us gifts to enable us. And we don't get to play the game of, you know, he didn't give me that gift. I think he gives us gifts in different seasons in our lives for different times. And so as we are a part of being our best, it all is about the Lord. It's all about what he is doing and what he would have us do in particular situations. Um, I, think it's, I think it's just really important to think about that. And as we enter into lordship with him, it comes down to, God, what do you want me to do? And sometimes that's not an easy prayer to pray because we kind of have our little list and we know what we're comfortable with and what we want to do. And I'm not saying, you know, listen to somebody that says, God told me to tell you that you do this. You know, that can be pretty scary. And, that, you know, that can also often be spiritual abuse. And that's not good. But I encourage you to ask him, what would you have me do? And I would say, first of all, for all of us, we need to be praying. Praying seriously for the church. Praying seriously for our city and for our nation. Praying for our world. Um, Christians this week faced horrific things simply because they know his name and where they happen to live, be, to live right now. We need to be praying for them. Are we willing to lay down whatever load we're carrying and trust him with it? I know there are a lot of college students going back to school today. <clears throat> and for parents, we have to once again release them to the Lord. Are you willing to release, are you willing to give to him your situation, your children, whatever you're facing? Are you willing, like Peter, <clears throat> to get out of the boat? Do we trust God enough? Do we trust him? Do we trust him with, with our lives? Do we trust him with the people we love? Do we trust him with our church? Do we trust him? A scripture this morning when I woke up, a scripture that came to mind immediately, and I promise you, usually scripture is not the first thing I think of <clears throat> when I wake up in the mornings, but a scripture that came to me was one from Deuteronomy 34, and Moses, there's a blessing over the people of Israel, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it basically, it, he is saying, there is no one like God who rides across the heavens to help you. And his majesty in the skies. The eternal God is our refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And that is my prayer for all of us. That we would know that he races across heaven. I mean, think of the imagery. He races across heaven to our aid. And his majesty in the skies. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. I don't know what particular boat you're in today. I don't particularly like the boat I'm in right now. But it's one I'm in. And sometimes that's just life. But I encourage you, whatever, it bo whatever boat you're in, are you willing to trust him? 
And if he's telling you to get out, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go deeper with him? Maybe your relationship with him has been outstanding. Usually we're not in a place with God where things are stagnant. Usually we're in a place where he is calling us deeper. So I just encourage you, even as he was faithful to Peter and saw in Peter more than Peter understood about himself, even understanding Peter would deny him, but then Peter was reinstated in that famous passage in John 21, that walk on the beach, when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And three times and three times Peter said it back. Peter was being reinstated. And then amazing happened in the church. This church has an incredible heritage. And that's not about us. That's not about spiritual pride. That's about what God has done here at different times and different seasons. And as we are in this season and as we are moving and, and listening to him, and Lord, what would you have us do? I would just encourage us all to ask the Lord, what are you calling us to do? Are you calling us to go deeper? Uh, are you calling me to get out of the boat? Are you calling me to trust you more? That he is able and he is willing and he races to our need. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows us all. He knows what we need. He knows what we need as a church.